The European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. Hello and welcome to this podcast from the European Patent Office in which we will be discussing cancer and how technology and patents have an increasing role to play in combating this dreadful disease. It is predicted that one in two of us will get cancer at some time in our lives, so progress here affects us all. Innovation in this sector is surging, but why, where and by how much? That's what we're discussing today. My name is Jeremy Philpot, and I work in communication at the European Patent Office. Joining me today are two experts who can answer our questions. First, we have senior economist Ilya Rudik. He has a background in innovation and economics. He joined the EPO in Munich over 10 years ago in the Chief Economist Unit. Welcome, Ilya. Hi, Jeremy. It's great to have a chance to talk about our latest research. It's good to have you back as well. Also joining us is Laurent Deleu, a patent examiner with over 20 years experience. Laurent has a PhD in virology and works at the EPO in biotechnology, particularly cell biology and disease models. Welcome, Laurent. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Ilya. Thank you for inviting me. It's really a pleasure to be with you today. It's good to have you with us. So, gentlemen, I'd like to start us with the big picture. How big a deal is cancer? And so why is innovation here of such importance? Jeremy, according to the latest estimations by the World Health Organizations, cancer is the number one cause of death. In more than 110 countries worldwide, it is the leading cause of death before the age of 70. And in the other countries, it's number two and number three, dependent on the situation in the country. Every year, and year I'm talking about the estimation 2020, only in that year, there were almost 10 million reported cancer deaths and almost 20 million new cancer cases. So as you can see, this is, this is something that might affect, and as already said in the beginning, almost every second of us. But there's, Jamie, there's also a kind of a positive or a light at the end of, uh, of the tunnel, because we have technologies that will help us dealing with that problem. And this is also the topic of our report. So technologies in the fight against cancer, because what we also seen in the latest statistics is that the mortality rates have been going down over the last decade due to new diagnostic methods, due to new therapies driven by technological advancement. And just to present you some numbers, which I find quite impressive, is that due to the technological developments in the last three decades, almost 5 million deaths have been averted in Europe, so in the EU, more than 1 million in the UK, almost 4 million in the US. So if you just take these three regions, we're talking about almost 10 million deaths avoided in the last three decades. Improved detection then, that's partly driving this. I mean, improved detection is giving us scary statistics in terms of the number of people with cancer, but it's also contributing in some way to reducing mortality or, or improving su survivability rates. Yeah, I think it's important to see that uh, when we speak about like defeating cancer, so fighting cancer, as you mentioned, it's diagnosing the, the cancer being early detection, but we need to evolve multiple technologies. I mean, it's only one technology that can defeat cancer. There is a need for clinicians to work in teams. It's uh, multidisciplinary, and we need to develop like multiple technologies. 
I would say that we can group them in four pillars. So there are four pillars that are also in the studies. You mentioned the detection and prevention. So that's really the first step. So we all know that the food, for example, what we are consuming, it's important to reduce carcinogens, to reduce exposure to any agent that would cause cancer. It's important to detect it early as possible. So in a way that would be the less invasive for the patients. Uh, we all know that we need to do regular checkups, going to the doctor for like imaging the moles. Uh, mammograms are also very important. That's something that you are used to do when it needs to be always uh, more precise. I just did my checkup this week. Oh, that's very good. You see it's coming in the mentality now. Yeah, yeah, it is. Then also, okay, unfortunately, when cancer uh, occurs, it's important to get like a very precise diagnosis. Again, to be uh, the least invasive for the patients, we need to get as much information on the tumor, so what caused the tumor, where is it located, uh, what are the mutations in the tumor, that the clinicians can define what would be the best strategy to cure the cancer, I mean, to treat the tumor. There we have like a huge toolbox of possibilities for the clinicians. You know about uh, radiotherapy, you know about like uh, chemotherapy, we have like new aspects that would say like uh, the targeted therapies, we have immunotherapy that is now coming into play. So you can see that it's something that is really developing what it is needed. I mean, we need really to have like multiple possibilities to target the tumor. The last pillar, I would say that is something that is very, very important. You know that it's a huge burden to go through the therapy, the cancer therapy. We need to have technologies to support the patients. I mean, the well-being of the patients is something that is the utmost importance. So there you have like everything that would be reducing the side effects of the treatments. But we need also to think about the long term. I mean, it's important that you have technologies that will prevent the recurrence of the cancer and um, be certain that we can have a healthy living after the treatments. So why is it so complex, the treatment of cancer? I think that uh, we have such a batteries of uh, possibilities to detect, treat, uh, prevent recurrence. I mean, what is cancer? Cancer is not a single disease. I mean, it's not, you can just not label, okay, cancer, it's really multiple diseases. Each cancer is different. Each cancer is more or less aggressive. That's something that uh, cannot be categorized in one disease. So why do we have like uh, so many complexity in the cancer? It's because the way cancer occurs, you will get like accumulation of mutations in one cell. So you have like a normal cells, the scale of your skin, the, skin, the, the cells of your pancreas, I mean, any organ that will accumulate mutations. And this mutation will confer the cells with the ability to proliferates without any limits. I mean, they will start hyperproliferating. At the same time, they will also like lose the ability to die. I mean, the cancer cell is a cell that is hyperproliferating and which is also immortal. So you can imagine that we have something which is very uh, nasty to deal with. And to say more, in fact, so the mutations causing the cancer are not always the same. So you have each cancer cell has its own signature. We have like different genes that are activated and that will be something that will be the next challenge for the, for the clinician. Even inside a single tumor, you can know that there is heterogeneity of the cells. So that's really a challenge for the clinicians. They know that inside a single tumor, you will get cells that will respond differently to the therapy. So as you can see, you really need to cover multiple technologies if you want to fight this disease or these diseases. I'd understood, you know, cancer is this catch-all term for at least, you know, 200 different diseases, but the fact that even within a single tumor, there's heterogeneity, that's surprising. Yeah. So huge technical challenge. Look, 
I want to dive a little bit more into what the new study then is showing in terms of, of the findings for innovation. But I think we should have the standard jargon buster at the beginning. So Ilya, can you just remind us what exactly you were counting when you say innovation is being measured and uh, what were you counting and why is it a fair metric? What we have attend is, of course, patents and patent documents, right, which, which disclose inventions and make it public. And this is exactly what we're using. However, we are not only using, let's say, patent documents or patents itself, but we want to measure the number of inventions. And to measure the number of inventions, we use the concept of families. However, we even go beyond that because we only want to focus on the most valuable ones. And therefore, we use the international patent families, meaning that we only look at those inventions related to cancer treatment or the diagnostics and so on, which have been published in at least two different jurisdictions so that we know that there is a kind of a investment from the applicant for having international protection. So he thinks that it's so valuable that he should protect it in several countries. So it's a filter for value. So at the end, we have a measure for uh, what I would say valuable inventions that we want to use to compare the performance, the trends, and to monitor what is happening in the area of cancer-related innovation. So an invention protected only in one market with just one national patent is seen to be not as valuable in the eyes of the inventor as one where they've chosen to go for patent protection in multiple countries. And therefore, and it's that latter thing you're counting. Okay, so now we know what IPFs are and, and why you're you're using them as a metric. Laurent? Yeah, I mean, you've seen that the work for media is very challenging. You need to find this innovation through all the patent families that are published. And uh, I mean, media would not be able to go through all the knowledge in the field. So all these uh, technical fields that we have covered before to be able to identify the trends that are developing. I would say that the trends of DPO is coming into place. Uh, we have a DPO experts in uh, multiple technical fields. These experts, so the, the, the patent examiners, are really, I would say, all passionate about the technical field and also about innovation. So they follow what is going on into uh, the patent applications. They look at the trend. They look at the new inventions. I mean, that's really something that we do daily. Well, that's also a possibility for Elia to interact with us and to see, okay, I found that in my study, is it relevant to you or not? Does it make sense or not? Uh, the expertise that is covered by the examiner, so we have like trained biologists like myself, we have uh, physicians, we have engineers. I mean, you need to have someone who is able to understand an MRI machine and would not be able to look at a patent application on an MRI machine. Neither would you be able to understand an oncolytic virus, for example, application. So we have already uh, diversity, we have chemists, we have nutritionists, we have immunologists. All this uh, brain food is there to identify the relevant patent uh, application, patent families, and then be in directors with Ilya to see what is really relevant and what is really developing today. So to give the example of the cancer study, we had more than 25 examiners working on developing search strategies, identified the concepts on the developing field. And we also had the support from experts from 10 national patent offices that were giving us further input on further search strategies. I'm always impressed with the enthusiasm the examiners have for their particular technical field. They're really passionate about their area of technology and, and their willingness to share what they know is just wonderful. The other thing that you've just said, you talked about engineers are involved in the fight against cancer as well. Very, very good point. I remember a decade ago in the European Inventor Award, we had a finalist from Belgium, Yves Jongen, who had invented the proton laser. 
important for very precise targeting and destruction of tumors, particularly in difficult to reach places. And we're talking about brain tumors in children. I mean, tiny target areas to try and aim at. So you've got to be super accurate. And what he was telling us was, can an engineer save lives? Yes. I mean, if you're an engineer building these sorts of tools, he's not a clinician. He's not a medic. He hasn't done a, a degree in anatomy or stuff like that. No, no, no. He, he's an engineer who knows how to build uh, powerful proton ray machines. So yeah, a, a, across every discipline, potentially far outside of, of medicine, as we would think of it, um, scientists and engineers can be contributing to the fight. So good to remind ourselves engineers have a role in saving lives too. So, Ilya, the new study, what are the main findings? So here come the numbers. First of all, we, over the period of 50 years, so since the 70s, when we saw the first patent applications appearing, since then, more than 140,000 international patent families have been published. So to, as you see, it's a huge number of inventions. That's a big cohort of patents to be looking at as well, 140,000. It is, but it also allows us to not only to look at the trends overall, but also to dig deeper into the different uh, technologies that are developing. What we also see is a particular search. So, and there's a reason why we've uh, carried out the study because there was uh, increased activity, patenting activity reported to us, and we can now document it, which is an increase of 70% in the number of annually published international patent families between 2015 and 2021. So only in 2021, over 13,000 international patent families have been published. So you see it's, it's, it's a really big number. It's more than 3% of the overall patenting activity worldwide. And what we also observed are the technical fields or the, let's say the technologies that were driving the recent search. And just to mention the most important one, diagnostic methods. So here, especially the, the area of liquid biopsies, which are less invasive, uh, compared to the tumor biopsies, here we see an uh, increase of almost fivefold over the last 10 years. That in the area of therapies, as um, Laurent already mentioned, uh, targeted therapies where the treatments are developed to directly address the proteins or genes that are responsible for cancer and uh, basically to avoid also affecting healthy ones, which is of course much better for, for the patients. Currently, this is the largest area with uh, almost 4,000 international patent families in 21. Immunotherapy, uh, which was the fastest growing in the recent period, where the person's old immune system is used to fight cancer. And of course, a bit smaller one, but gene therapy is also another one that is worth mentioning where gene transfer and genome editing techniques are used to, uh, to treat and to inhibit faulty genes. Yeah, I think I may jump on that because I agree with Ilya that this uh, liquid biopsy is really something which is uh, fascinating and already full of hope for the future. I mean, you need to realize that liquid biopsy, we are talking about using just a blood sample. I mean, that's something that you would take from the patients. And from this uh, sample, you can extract uh, the circulating tumor cells. You can extract circulating tumor DNA, vesicles, proteins, metabolites that are all released by the tumor. That's something that's just in the blood sample, you can find the signature that I mentioned before about your tumor cells. So you can see that this information you receive just from a blood sample is huge to the clinicians. I mean, you can see, okay, you have an early diagnosis, you know that there's a cancer, but not only you know that there's cancer, you know what kind of cancer you have, what would be better for the targeted therapy. So that's something that has proven to be efficient to make an early diagnosis, to be efficient to monitor 
efficacy of your treatment because you can see basically live how the tumor is regressing. Is it responding or not to the therapy? And also for the future, I mean, it's something that you can do uh, one year after your treatment. You can take another blood sample and then monitor, okay, do I find circulating tumor cells? Is it something that has now completely disappeared or do we have any recurrence of the tumor? So that's really something, I think, for the for the comfort of the patients. When you speak about something like minimally invasive and also accompanying the, um, the patient, I see a huge future for this uh, technology. Just to jump on here, that's something that we forgot. So we, we are now talking about the, the newest technologies, uh, the newest, let's say, techniques or therapies. But they are also the, what we call the classical one, right? We talked about surgery, which was already used by the old Egyptians to treat cancer or radiotherapy or, or the classical chemotherapy. It doesn't mean that these are old and nothing is happening here. We still have a lot of developments and new inventions also in those areas, especially with the, with the possibilities that um, ICT, so information and communication technologies are offering. We have very important improvements here as well. And just to give you an example, think about robotic surgery. Now we can, let's say, make surgery much more efficient and uh, also treat the patients uh, in, a, in a better way with a better outcome. Think about the way of planning for radiotherapy. We can avoid maybe overusing it so that at the end there's more healthy tissue that basically provide a better results for the patient. But also in the diagnostic area, think about imaging, right? We have now AI and uh, image recognition techniques, new algorithms that help us to identify cancerous tissue, which might have been overlooked in the past by the clinicians. You're right, Ilya. That reminds me, we often see these headlines of an AI is doing a better job of detecting cancers by looking at lots and lots of medical images. It seems that the AI is better than very tired human eyes. Uh, in terms of looking for suspicious material in these scans. Now, I'd like to look at the second part of the study, which is the the geographical breakdown. I dread to ask, where is the innovation happening? I, I fear I know what the answer might be. Well, Jeremy, I don't know if I will surprise you, but right now the US are clearly in the lead. I mean, we had like more than 5,500 international patent families in 2021 from the US. Well, Okay, five and a half thousand in 2021. Exactly, yes. Wow, that's a big slice. Okay. Yes, I, I can confirm. So, basically, a rule of thumb: almost every second comes from the from the US or US applicants, to be more precise. Okay, is is Europe a close second, or where's 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 Europe and the rest of the world relative to USA? Europe is second. It's second, but we must see that uh, the Chinese applicants. Uh, made a huge leap forward recently. So Europe is losing the second place. Uh, we see China coming. That's interesting because I've been following the trend for applications from China in the context of our patent index over many years. Yes, applications from China to the EPO go up every year by big double-digit percentages, but predominantly in ICT areas, so digital comm, telecommunications, computer hardware, semiconductors, chips, and so on, and not very present in areas like, for example, biotech or pharmacy, at least at nothing like the set, a comparable level. So that's surprising to me if you say that the Chinese applicants are strongly represented in, in the body of patents you've looked at. That's, that's a new development. 
Well, Jeremy, this is what what the numbers show, and uh, just just to make sure, it's it's not only the ICT sectors, right? Applied in the oncology area, it's it's also the, the treatment. So we, we really, if if you look targeted therapy, immunotherapy, gene therapy, this is where we see applicants from from China really submitting uh, patent applications and innovating in those areas as well. So then, Europe in second place, but we don't know for how much longer. How are the performers in Europe? Well, within Europe, we still see Germany as, as number one, but uh, more than 9,200 international patent families between 2002 and 2021. So if you look at the 20-year period, followed by UK, France, Switzerland, the Netherlands. However, we see a bit of a divergent trend while the number of IPFs from German applicants remains more or less constant, especially over the, the recent 10 years. The contributions from UK applicants, French applicants, Swiss and Netherlands, they are actually catching up. So if you just look at the last two years, we see that the UK is almost at par with uh, German applicants. Yeah, okay. So in any area where the numbers of patent filings are growing by however much per year, an applicant who's only standing still in relative terms is potentially starting to lose place in the race against others. Okay, but still... Encouraging for other parts of Europe, if UK, France, Switzerland, Netherlands are all coming up. I mean, let's face it, we don't mind where the innovation is getting done, just as long as the innovation is happening, because that's that's all going to improve health outcomes for everyone. That's the country profiles. What's the situation with the profile of, of the applicants? Who are the people applying? Is this dominated by Big Pharma? Yeah, so in the case of uh, the technology of against cancer... We have a picture that is a bit different than what you would see for other technologies. I mean, you must realize that uh, to develop cancer treatments, there is a huge amount of uh, basic research and translational research that is required. So that will be done in um, universities, in uh, hospitals, and in public research organizations. That's where really the, the research is starting. Uh, but these um, institutions have become also aware of the importance of uh, protecting their integral property also to work together with industries. So we see that uh, the fighting in the um, innovation against cancer is also coming with a third from applicants that are universities, hospitals, and public research organizations. A third, Laurent? Yeah, indeed. So it's a third of the applicants that come from universities, hospitals, and public research organizations in the field of uh, cancer innovation. Oh, wow. Because... You know, again, coming from the patent index, uh, when we look at the profile of the applicants, the hospitals, PROs, universities, that sector, they're contributing only about 6% of all of the patent applications to the EPO annually. So if they're present in this technical field at the rate of a third, that's that's a, a huge section uh, of the applicant community there in comparison with, with what we see overall. Okay, thank you. Yeah, carry on. But let, let me briefly jump in here. So two things that are important uh, to, to stress here. So first of all, it doesn't mean that the large pharmaceutical companies are not less important. Uh, in our view, and uh, it's also visible in the data, is that it's just that the the innovation model is changing a bit. So we have a bit of a paradigm change towards more open innovation where it's not just the pharmaceutical companies that are doing everything from step A to step uh, C, where step A would be uh, the, the 
scientific developments in the laboratory, and step C would be then the, the market entry. We see more of a specialization in the division of the of the innovation activities, where we see at the beginning the universities there, PROs, hospitals, we do the scientific research. Then we have the startups, which uh, maybe license or take the technology and then try to develop it further, um, try to go through the clinical trials, which are very, very important in the drug development, as we know, and then the larger pharmaceutical companies that take, uh, let's say, the technology then either by buying the startups, acquiring them, or maybe licensing the technology directly from universities or PROs, completing the clinical trials. We should not forget they are very, very expensive. It's a very important step to get approval from the FDA or the EMEA, the, the two most important approval agencies, and then also to market it, so to bring it on the market, to bring it to the patient. So all actors are very important in that process. And as already explained, that is visible in the patent data. But here, I would like to stress that it's not only important to observe it in the patent data, but it also means the patents are important for the whole process. So this type of open innovation with a specialization between the different actors is only possible because we have patents. So they facilitate the transfer of technologies from one actor, for example, university, to another one, be it a startup, and then even further in the innovation cycle then at the end to the pharmaceutical companies. And just to cite another study which looked at the uh, drugs that have been approved in the last five years to pharmaceutical, large pharmaceutical uh, companies, more than 60% of them came either from universities or PRO, so they have been licensed, or from biotech or other types of startups that have been acquired by large pharmaceutical companies. So you see, we have all actors in that cancer innovation ecosystem, and all of them are important and the whole thing is facilitated through patents. But I think the public, I think all of us, we tend to ignore or forget that the role of these these startups, these universities, for example, have in the overall development of these these new technologies or medicines. Because when you buy a medicine, it's got the brand name of the pharmaceutical company that's at the end of this value chain. Because that medicine doesn't have the brand name of a university on it, we forget that the research probably started a decade earlier in a university research lab. So it's it's the patent system that makes it more clear where some of these ideas got started, even if it's only the brand name of a major pharmaceutical company that that the public gets to see on the finished product. Yes, it's it's like the the oil that that let's say makes the system work, right? So this is how I see. It. But that's all about technology transfer, this value chain from universities and research teams and startups through to big pharma who commercialize and so on. But in parallel to technology transfer, we also have to think about the patent system itself, which we think of as a knowledge transfer mechanism. And in fact, that's what the EPO is. I mean, the EPO is a knowledge-based organization and the knowledge transfer through the publication of patent applications is why the patent system has been with us for several centuries. So, I'm reflecting on this a bit, Law, about the fact that the EPO is sitting on this huge pile of potentially relevant information, which is you know more than must be appearing in the medical journals. So what more could the EPO be doing to try and put all of this knowledge, all this, this technical information at the service of those who are leading the fight against cancer? 
Yeah, Jamie, you're right. I mean, we, we just saw that cancer researchers are aware of the patent system, defined the patent applications. However, they don't really know how to use this information that we have at the EPU. I mean, they're all used to search scientific literature. Uh, but as you just say, in fact, we have a gold mine of information that is available at the EPU. Uh, the patent application comprise like a full disclosure of the invention. So if you look at the patent application, it will be sometimes close to reading the scientific publication. So the good thing is that all this information, all this patent information is available for free at the EPO. Uh, the EPO patent database, SPASNET, gives you access to more than 150 million patent documents. So that's available to all researchers. You can just go and access this information. So what have we done to help the researchers, and especially the researchers in the cancer field? We, we have offered them now, we have launched a platform that is provided to everyone. And it gives you like custom written specific search strategies. So what can you do with the platform? You have this free platform. You just easily navigate into the platform, look at the different uh, technical fields that are proposed. And if you decide to go uh, for example, you are passionate about oncolytic viruses or you want to develop a new technology based on oncolytic viruses, you just go to the platform, look at therapy because we want treating cancer, immunotherapy, you click on oncolytic viruses and you get the data set of patents relevant to oncolytic viruses. So it's just an example, but you have like more than 130 search queries that cover all the technologies that you have discussed today. So which is like a prevention, a diagnosis, uh, treatment on well-being of the patients. Wow. So, I mean, if it's like the the other platforms that we've done in the past, then it's a bit, you know, for, for somebody who's a complete beginner to patent searching, it's like having a professional patent searcher, an examiner sitting next to you, sort of written written the, the search strategy for you to run in the free database. Exactly. That, that on, you are provided with a search strategy. So if you just click on the uh, advanced search, you will see what has been designed. So you will see the keywords, you will see the classes that the examiners have been designing for you. And you can also try to uh, tune that for you. So if you say, oh, I see that this term has been used, but I would like to add another term to uh, refine my search, that's something that you can do. That's really a way to, to you to change that. You can also filter the results. If you say, well, I want to see what is happening in Europe compared to the US, you can say, I just want to see what are the patent documents that are relevant in Europe. That's all things that you can do easily by just activating the filters. And it was just EPO examiners who did this? No, no. That's, if you use this uh, platform, you will get the knowledge of the EPO examiners and of the uh, examiners from the national patent offices. So it's really like a, a joint uh, venture from all the uh, examiners from the different offices. Great collaborative effort. Good. Thanks. Now, Ilya, I remember doing promotion work for the Deep Tech Finder last autumn. So what updates are there? Talking about collaboration, Jeremy. <laughs> as, as you know, we have published the Deep Tech Finder, which is a tool developed by the Observatory of the EPO for patents and technology, which combines patent-related information with uh, financial data on startups. So we were able to identify almost 8,000 European startups which received some type of financing and have published at least one patent applications at the EPO, which uh, which we call this so-called deep tech startups because they know we are they are investing and developing technology. And the step that we took now 
giving the work and the search statements and so on that we did for the cancer study, we thought it would be a very good step to introduce that identification of oncology-related technology into the Deep Tech Finder. So now we are able to identify the 1,340 startups that have received any type of financing and have published at least one patent application related to oncology, which we hope will provide a different type of entry point to patent information, additional information to investors, to other startups who are looking for cooperation partners so they can check what is the technology that other startups are developing and hopefully to any other type of stakeholders as well. I think that's a great way of linking the worlds of business information with the worlds of patent information. Yeah, so investors potentially could now go in there and find over 1,300 startups in the oncology area. Not only in oncology, but we provide 17 different filters. So you can look into immunotherapy, you can look into targeted therapy, you can look in biopsies and so on. So it, we, we go even further and you can really look into the different cancer-related technologies and see what are the startups in those different fields. I'm looking at my watch and realizing that we are very closely up to time, but I always like to do this uh, at the end of a podcast. I'd, I'd really like to, from both of you, get your, your take on your thoughts for the future. Yeah, Jeremy, so if we look at uh, cancer, what happened in the recent years, uh, we can see that there's an increase of number of cancer that have become credible, or at least where the survival rate has been improved. Uh, we've seen today that is the results of the constant innovation in the field. I mean, Ilya mentioned before the CAR T cells. The CAR T cell therapy is now successful in treating, for example, leukemia. And we have seen also that the study reversed numerous fields that are in development. Like you know, Ilya mentioned again, gene editing, gene therapy. I will also include the personalized medicine on the artificial intelligence that you mentioned before. I'm convinced that these technologies will further increase the list of curable cancer and including the one that today have a very poor prognosis. So I'm really optimistic for the future. Yeah, thank you. You know, big progress against some cancers and not a lot in against some other cancers. Not for want of trying. So yeah, keeping our, our fingers crossed that something comes up soon against some of the currently uh, less curable cancers. And Ilya, your hopes for the future? So from from my point of view. Well, as you know, I'm an economist and uh, I'm always thinking about what is the role of patents and especially in the area of oncology, I'm uh, I'm very convinced that it, patents play a particularly important role and I just heard the expression that it's uh, the oil of the innovation system, especially in oncology and also seeing that from the deep tech finder that more than 15% of the startups that are innovating in Europe are actually innovating in the area of oncology. It stresses that patents play a particularly important role for startups, be it to get financing, to support them in licensing technology, to have a successful exit, and and many, many other purposes. And I hope that we can contribute to raising awareness about the role that patents play and also teaching startups what are the best practices in the area of IP strategy and IP management. And uh, hopefully that our podcast that we just recorded can contribute. I'm glad we could finish on an optimistic note for the future. So thank you both, Ilya, Laurent, and thanks to all of you out there for listening. Just a reminder, the EPO publishes fresh podcasts every week on new technologies, studies into the economic impact of patents, as well as advice for innovators. So listen out for more podcasts soon. 
the recording of last week's online event in which the study and platform that we were just discussing, that recording will be on our website. So come and visit epo.org observatory for details where you will find links to the new study, the technology platform and the Deep Tech Finder. But for today, from Ilya, Laurent and myself, it's goodbye. Au revoir. Bis zum nächsten Mal. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation at epo.org or on your favorite podcast platform. Let's talk innovation.